Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Friday, the 30th of June, and my name is Helen Freer. We had some strong economic data out of the US yesterday. On today's show, I'll be talking about this and more market news with Roman Canciani. Then I'll be asking my colleague Tim Gagey what yesterday's data means for currency markets. And we're also joined today by Manuel Villegas, who'll be giving us an update on digital assets. But let's start with the market news. Good morning, Roman. So I think it's fixed income markets we need to talk about first this morning. Um, While central bankers from around the world have been very vocal this week about their intentions to keep rising policy rates, it took a set of data relating to the first quarter of this year to make yields jump yesterday. What's the news here? It's sort of old news, but... Yes, absolutely. Good morning, Helen. Well, U.S. Treasury yields surged following the release of better-than-expected U.S. growth numbers for the first quarter of 2023. And one must admit, though, that uh, the beat of the analyzed gross domestic product uh, or GDP growth in the U.S. was pretty steep. It turned out that growth was much higher than the expected 1.4%. It was 2% instead. This and the lower-than-expected initial jobless claims number for last week was enough to see U.S. Treasury yields spike materially higher. Two years added 16 basis points and remain sticky there. They are at 4.86 this morning, while 10 years added 13 basis points and now trade at 3.84. By the way, while a 25 basis point rate hike in the U.S. at the end of July seems a given now, Uh, market participants still haven't fully priced in a follow-up rate hike later on this year. So they still do not believe that the Fed is about to hike twice more this year, as indicated by several policymakers over the past weeks. Right. Isn't it a bit surprising then that stock markets didn't fall with yields jumping so much? I mean, traditional equity valuation models imply that higher yields mean lower stock prices, no? Yes, absolutely. Well, it was not all negative news yesterday. Uh, And of course, you can say that high growth numbers also are a sign of a more resilient economy and therefore a lower risk of a full-blown recession. The major positive news for stocks yesterday was for US financials as all the bigger lenders passed the Fed's annual stress test, which some say clears the way for stock buyback programs and other payouts. So financials were leading the charge, while there was some weakness in the tech space with Microsoft and Alphabet lower on the day. Overall, the S&P 500 index closed the trading day higher by 0.4% and just a whisker below the 4,000 points mark, with financials outperforming strongly and utilities, consumer staples and telecoms, the only sectors in the red. The tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 was down 0.2% on the day. Okay, we've been talking a lot about market action in the US so far, but what about Asia? Any news to look at there this morning? Yes, actually, the trading session in Asia has been pretty eventful so far, uh, driven by some interesting data releases and currency moves. Inflation data in Japan surprised on the upside, a better inflation data in Tokyo actually surprised on the upside and confirmed those believing that the Bank of Japan will raise its inflation forecast next month. Still, the yen kept on sliding versus its peers at first, prompting Japan's finance minister Shunichi Suzuki to verbally intervene, saying that the government must respond appropriately to any excessive moves in the currency markets. That helped and the yen reversed its course quite immediately and it's now a bit stronger versus dollar on the day. 
And in China, data keep on disappointing with manufacturing data contracting again in June and services data also missing expectations. Still, stock markets are faring okay-ish in Asia with Japan closely slightly in the red, Hong Kong about even, uh, but mainland China and Australia rising a bit. Okay, so not too bad a start to the last trading day of the first half of 2023 then. Um, and what's on the agenda today for investors? What do they need to look out for? Well, today we'll have the inflation numbers for June released for France and Eurozone as a whole, with consensus expectations for the latter at 5.6%. Most expect the ECB to hike rates further in July, and the debate is currently on whether another rate hike further down this year will be necessary. By the way, Spain's inflation reported yesterday fell to 1.6% year-on-year, the first country of the bloc to see inflation falling below 2%, the official target of the European Central Bank. And then in the afternoon, we'll have plenty of fresh data out of the US, including the all-important PCE deflator numbers for May, uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's favorite gauge of inflation. Expectations there are for a yearly change of 3.8%. These data will probably move stocks in one or the other direction. For now, futures for the opening on US stock markets are in the green, although only slightly. That's it for me. Great. Thank you very much, Roman, for the roundup this morning. Now, Tim, thanks for joining us today as well. Good morning, first of all. Good morning, Helen. Thanks for having me. So we've talked about it a bit already. We got a very strong US GDP number yesterday. What did this mean for currency markets? FX-wise, the moves were actually pretty mild. The main impact was really on precious metals, where we saw a break finally of this 1900 level in gold, and indeed 900 in platinum. To be fair, while the GDP number was quite a bit better than expected in the US, this rather confirmed the trend of the last week or so. And let's face it, euro dollar at just below 109 and cable above 126 is still not really what you would call a meaningful correction lower. So I don't think anyone was too excited. It is also important to remember that today is month end, quarter end and half year end. So there are almost certainly significant flows going on around the dollar that are more to do with corporates and funds rebalancing and window dressing portfolios than anything meaningful. As I said, Gold did break below 1900, but it did not close below that level yesterday. And I am starting to think this actually could be a good level to start to go along again, albeit cautiously. The lack of yield in gold is complicated, but there is a very significant support at 1860. And this pullback from around 2050 to 1900 that we've seen is almost exactly the same depth as the pullback in February from 1950 to 1800, which to me also suggests that we could see some buyers quite soon. And I would also be looking at getting long platinum on this dip to 900. Let's move on to the Japanese yen. What's going on there? Is there any end in sight to this weakness we're seeing? Yeah, well, as we heard, the yen has had an absolutely brutal run. The Bank of Japan just gets further and further away from every other central bank in the world, or pretty much anyway. This year, Alone, the yen has fallen 14% low to high against the dollar, and even more in some crosses. Everyone, including me to be fair, had gotten all excited about Ueda, the new governor replacing Kuroda, and bringing the Bank of Japan into line. But so far, this has just not happened at all. And actually, he seemed to be even a slightly supercharged version of Kuroda at some points. And the yen is just the absolute worst currency to be in at the moment, because the negative carry and the negative performance is really a double hit. At some stage, this will turn around, and we are at levels where we have seen the Bank of Japan intervene in the past, but so far nothing much, and the psychological resistance of 145 did break briefly this morning. 
Last year, we saw a move to 150, followed by a drop to 130 or below 130 actually by January of this year. So the yen is capable of wiping people out in a matter of days, but it is impossible to know when the right timing is to buy the yen, and I would still steer clear unless you have a very high conviction of your own. Okay, now oil seems to be stuck in a rut. What are your thoughts on commodity currencies? Yeah, well, they are dragging a bit really as well, much like oil. The Canadian dollar, in fairness, has actually done pretty well this month, even if it was unable so far to hold on to gains below 132 versus the dollar. But the Aussie dollar cannot make any headway at all. Having said that, I do like, again, the look of the Aussie dollar here uh, around 0.66. I think you would get really nice levels for a reverse convertible, an accumulator, a bullish tarp, something like that. And while an overshoot to 0.65 is possible, I don't believe we should go any lower. Norwegian krona has, however, resumed its weakness after a brief rebound earlier in the month. And despite a relatively bullish central bank, while the Swedish krona is just awful, it's heavy weather in this part of the market. But I do think if you're looking for an opportunity, then the Aussie is very interesting at this level against US dollar, of course, but also actually against the euro if you are looking for a non-US dollar alternative. Right. And what's on the cards for today then, do you think? As I said earlier, I think the most important thing to remember about today is that it marks the passage from the first half of 2023 to the second half. And it is very hard to know which flows and moves are real and which flows and moves will be reversed next week. So for today, honestly, I'd expect more of the same. But I would prefer not to chase after these moves, especially in metals, because I think there is a decent chance you could get your fingers burnt next week once we get into July. UK data this morning was actually fairly positive but mostly ignored. European CPI looks quite important coming up at 11 o'clock our time this I'll be watching Canadian GDP this afternoon to see if we can get back below 132. And the market will also look closely at Chicago PMIs and University of Michigan sentiment this afternoon in the US to round out the week. Let's hope it's not too chaotic, even if volatility is usually our friend. And let's also hope the rain outside our window is also a month-end phenomenon, which will pass quickly. So thank you, Helen, for having me on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I wish you all an excellent weekend. Great. Thanks very much, Tim. Great to get your thoughts, as always. Now, Manuel, I'm looking forward to getting an update now on digital assets. Um, Bitcoin ETFs have been getting quite a lot of attention lately. What's been going on there? Good morning, Helen. You're right. So filings for new physically backed spot Bitcoin ETFs have been the talk of the town. They have driven an avalanche of speculation over the future of the asset class as institutional providers reinstate their interest. And news of filings have pushed Bitcoin prices far above 30,000, extending their year-to-date rally above 80%, not only reflecting an improving market mood, but also some front-running by those expecting the products to be approved. I thought Bitcoin ETFs already existed in the US, though. So what's the difference now, then? So the truth is, in the moment in the US, what we have is Bitcoin future ETFs, so there are no physically backed ETFs. So most of the underlyings have been on the, over the futures contracts on Bitcoin. So thus far, the, the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission or the SEC, as we know, has not approved any of the proposed physically backed Bitcoin ETFs. There have been many filings by Grayscale, Wisdom Tree, ARC in the past, and some have actually been rejected multiple times. And the reasons have been over consumer protection and potential for market manipulation. We, live, we believe the reasons will still hold. 
so the approval is quite unlikely. However, in this case, we have a new amendment where we see an agreement for surveillance sharing, which is intended to alleviate the concerns about market manipulation. However, if the Bitcoin spot ETFs actually come across, they're physically backed and therefore the providers would actually need to buy the actual Bitcoins with the money they are attracting. And what are the potential implications, do you think, on the price of Bitcoin? So these institutional players would have to acquire sizable amounts of Bitcoin, which would likely drive up demand in a market where, as we all know, centralized exchange liquidity has dried up due to the regulatory crackdown in the US and where 70% of all Bitcoins have not been traded during the past year. So centralized exchange liquidity problems translate into broader bid-to-ask spreads and have way higher order slippage for the largest trading pairs, which would be Bitcoin to US dollar. And large orders will be difficult to handle. Investors should expect volatility, broader spreads even, and high slippage as exchange liquidity is minimal and the order books will be fragile in the event of larger orders. Potentially, the ETF approval would lead to a longer lasting rally for Bitcoin, assuming that new products would lure a large number of new investors in the market because of the comfort and the convenience they offer. However, volatility is said to persist at least until the products are either approved or rejected, which should happen during the next few weeks. Around mid-August is the estimate. Also factoring in the persistent uncertainty of the regulatory backdrop in the United States. Okay, thank you very much, Manuel, for the update. So that is all for today. Thank you again to my guest this morning and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again next week. I'll be back on Monday with more of my colleagues, including Menzel Pochinzi, who will have a technical update for us. Until then, have a great day, everyone, and then a great weekend. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player.